I heard through the grapevine that you've given up on Elman Elixir and uh, that you're right now actually rewriting all of your code in C++ for that great speed gain. Is that true? That is not true. Oh, okay. Um, I gotta gotta check with my sources once more. So, but speed is important, right? Or performance. Yeah, you gotta go fast. I think I learned that from Sonic. Yeah. So performance has always been fascinating to me. It's like I never really needed it. Like I haven't worked with things that are so time sensitive. I haven't done high frequency trading or anything. I haven't done things that are at such a scale where really small amounts of time really, really add up. I've had some places where it's like, oh, this this needs to be faster. And then you optimize a little bit, but you that's like optimizing in terms of maybe not making that SQL query 10 times, maybe just doing it once. But things that are really, really fast have always been very fascinating to me. I don't think that I would go for C++ if I was going for speed right now. I think I would just go for Rust. I think you might still have an advantage with C++, but it seems like Rust does pretty well for itself in that regard and uh, seems kind of nicer. Yeah, that's a reasonable choice. C++ is, it has very sharp edges and it's huge. Have you ever tried to do something similar to grep naively? Like in choose any programming language, go and code it. No, uh, grep. Uh, so let's say you're writing something in Python and suddenly you want to go through a bunch of files and figure out where some data is. Yeah, so go OS walk, open the file, all that good stuff. Yeah. I must have done it several times, but I can't recall even one. Yeah, I think most people at some point end up doing that kind of thing. And it's at those moments you realize how fast grep is and you end up kind of impressed. And I think I read an article at some point that explained kind of why why grep is fast. And then you have these newer variants pop up like RipGrep or uh, the Silver Searcher AG that are much faster than Grep. And I think there's something fascinating there where, where things can just get so much faster than they, than they are if we use a default approach. Usually performance is kind of counterintuitive, uh, and sometimes it's just about keeping thing, making things very simple to do. I don't know. It's it's a fascinating thing that I rarely get to do very much with. Have you done anything where where like performance was super central and sensitive? I've yeah, at work it was some months ago. We were trying to do we're doing all those fun computer science problems, preferably all the problems at the same time with a time constraint. Traveling knapsack problem. Yeah, absolutely, with bin packing. And it should go fast, and we have, have uh, uh, some heuristics, and they're probably not there yet, but they're, yeah. Um, so there I made some, but it was mostly... You know, the the boring parts. It's not the, okay, I'm going to find this cool, really fast algorithm. It was more like, so I measure stuff and I come to the conclusion that, 
we really shouldn't use the database we're using more than absolutely necessary. Uh, so use the amnesia cache instead. And the data we need in the amnesia cache isn't always there. But if I use the get function, it can read through to the database when it isn't there. Also, this is the good part. The get function is so incredibly fast that I can map over a series of IDs or a sequence of IDs and just get the stuff from the from the cache. And that just screams in my ORM infected brain or ORM infected brain. Because if I try to do that in an ORM, it's the order n problem all over again, right? Yeah, but with amnesia, it's pretty close to just memory access. Yeah, so it's wonderful. So I think the parts of having programs go fast I've done is mostly measuring things and muttering under my breath and changing some of the... I made it go much faster by not using the database, but using the cache instead by doing some some gymnastics. Uh, the code is worse now in when it comes to readability and so on. So I guess it's a performance improvement. <laughs> uh, it's usually a sign of it. Uh, yeah, I've, I've also done a fair bit of that kind of thing where it's figure out which parts are too slow and make those faster. But generally, I feel like that's <laughs> that's making the app not be slow more than it is make it fast. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, okay, I've, do I've done some of the work in Haskell, but that's, I don't know if, maybe it counts. Uh, you know Project Euler? Mm, yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't tried it. Yeah, great site for, for silly small mathematical problems, or some of them aren't silly, but I find them very nice to work with. Usually they uh, use so big, they want to know the answer of so big things, like give me the sum of all prime numbers from one to a million. And then you need an algorithm that's good enough to uh, generate that in a reasonable amount of time. And if it takes more than, say, a minute, try another algorithm. So that I've done. Hmm. And yeah, this is interesting. I was on a job interview a while ago I have a hobby. I do job interviews. Some people run. Others, I don't know, go skiing. I do job interviews. We all need our hobbies. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and uh, the technical part of this one, one of the things was generate uh, the nth Fibonacci number. Mm. Uh, and the clever way to do this is to start with the two first ones, 0 and 1, add them, put them first in a list. No, almost. Start with a list containing 0 and 1. Pick the two first elements in the list, add them, prepend it to the list, and so on, mm. until you get all the numbers you want. And then you can do whatever you want with it. You can also use, use just... Uh, just use recursion lol something like that the interesting part with of that was that uh, the interviewer wanted the other version the one you can see on Wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> and I was like why and how this is how you do it right but he, he gave me the definition after a while so 
we worked it out. But that's one of one of the things you get from doing too much project Euler. The you start to remember the fast algorithms for these kind of problems. Yeah. I remember listening to an interview with the guy behind SQLite. Do you remember his name? Yeah, it's was it in one of the interviews on the Changelog podcast? Yeah, yeah, it was. But yeah, he was talking about sort of how he tackles things and kind of where this where he has this impulse that it is not really uh, just like go and use whatever's on the shelf, but rather go like I think he had very much the approach of no, no, the algorithm is in this book that I have of good algorithms. I'm not. Sh- I don't recall which book it was. Uh, I definitely haven't read it. But <laughs> so we was like, yeah. So SQLite started by you using that and that and that uh, because I needed that and that and that and. Uh, yeah, later we needed this, so I looked for an algorithm that did that, and very much kind of concerned with with finding an appropriate technical and kind of mathematical solution to the problem. Well, computational, I guess, computationally appropriate, which generally means either performant uh, in terms of speed or performant in terms of like memory use or storage use uh, because sometimes those are in in dire uh, tension. But I have never worked in a context where that where that's the kind of important thing. I've toyed around with uh, doing some faster animation under uh, in uh, web browsers. For example, using 3D. And then I fiddled around with things like, oh, okay, right now I'm rendering everything on every frame. Well, that's not very efficient. Oh, if I only if I only re-render when something actually changes and kind of keep keep a boolean if something's dirty or not, then uh, that that saves a lot of time and saves a lot of re-rendering and uh, brings down CPU a good chunk so like i've toyed with things where where performance matters because in games like if you want if you want to hit a steady 60 fps uh you definitely need to mind your performance but overall like in my in my actual work that is never the priority like the constraints are always like how much calendar time do we have how much feature uh can we achieve how do we build the right thing? How do we uh, find fit? So I'm not surprised that like things like rip grep or or the original grep are kind of idealist tools, or it's tools for tools by toolmakers for toolmakers, because it's what people do for themselves or for their own use or for their own needs and gratification. And in those moments, also like performance matters as a as their own user experience it's annoying if it's slow but it's so rarely like i imagine there's tons of people at apple that get to sweat the frames <laughs> that get to sweat the cpu usage that get to kind of tackle optimization problems but not in any space i, I work and it's kind of sad i think the world would be better if there was space for some for some speed what would you optimize with regard to performance 
if you had resources and time to do it? Well, right now with the stack I've chosen, I feel like I get very reasonable, often surprisingly good performance kind of out of the box with Elixir. It is not a speedy demon, but it is very performant and fits all the other criteria of kind of high level, very productive, web oriented products, product friendly languages with good frameworks and libraries. So in that regard, it's like, yeah, I don't think I want to sh- necessarily shift that uh, trade-off because it is a trade-off. But I would love it if desktop software, I would love it if more of the things I used sweated speed and in a fundamentally different way than making React act faster, uh, but rather rather kind of from scratch, like it, the the kind of speeds you can get with with native frameworks or kind of low level low level stuff because there you you also see this like in terminals it's almost become a sport like oh I released a terminal that runs at even higher FPS uh, or that's that's kind of even lower latency absurdly low latency that became a bit of a thing and it's also because it's in a space where there are nerds that care about this stuff. Because otherwise, no one would care, and you wouldn't get positive attention for being the fastest. No one chooses Microsoft because their product is the fastest. Nobody has ever gotten fired for choosing Microsoft is the new. Nobody has ever gotten fired for choosing IBM. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I would love if someone would make a fast and memory aware uh slack client and discord client and everything else written in electron yeah i think wechat supposedly works uh, i think i tried to install it at some point i think i had some problems but yeah see, the annoying thing is that they haven't even tried to make it feasible to build and maintain integrations against these things because they like they want control of their product uh, and at a certain point like api stopped being a thing <laughs> public api yeah, yeah i i get that i'm also you know that xkcd with uh, now we can communicate with the telepathy or something like that i'm the irc guy hmm. in that one yeah so yeah i wish i was more the irc guy <laughs> oh it's again I actually I had a client, uh, so another another kind of freelance dev that had a product ID that he wanted a little bit of help with. So he pulled me back into having an active IRC client because that was his preferred uh, way of communicating. And I'm like, yeah, we'll we'll roll with what the client wants. I don't mind IRC. Uh, it's not the most convenient, but for example, not having the <laughs> the scroll back if your uh, if your thing has been offline. Yeah, you need the shell server. It's one of the more fascinating parts of IRC. I guess it's it's a federated network of servers that clients connect to. It's like the the basis of it. Well, it's a kind of internet relay chat. I would say. <laughs> People say so. I don't know if I believe it. But it's an open standard. 
and I think they're version three now, but it's we're not really. I don't really know what clients and servers support version three of the standard, and that's uh, a bummer, really, because it it has good things like you can save your uh, scroll back or logs or whatever on the server you connect it, so you ask it to save stuff for you, uh, and uh, it also has support for maybe images and better support for links and all all the fluffy stuff. Yeah, he pointed me to Irk Cloud. That's a good one. And that one had features and stuff <laughs> that IRC never had. So yeah. it was it's like very very decent uh but there was like there's still Nixserve and Chanserve. Well, of course. Okay, like onboarding a completely non-IRC person was uh interesting my colleague at the tell time tell me more <laughs> well i was just like getting him in there at all later we also had some challenges getting auto inviting and auto access for the private channel to work like irc is yeah. is more complex uh, than it sometimes needs to be but i've also uh i tried to poke matrix element um at one point and i figured oh i'll join this matrix channel that i'm kind of curious about like the self-hosted there's a self-hosted podcast that i'm listening to and they have a matrix element chat room so i tried to join that that process crashed lovely tried it a few times never worked and i think now (laughs) matrix has cleaned up my account for inactivity (laughs) (laughs) so okay yeah that went well but I hear that is kind of more behaves a little bit more like you'd expect from a modern chat thing. But I also hear Slack is is about to screw up their whole application with a redesign, so that'll be interesting. But yeah, like I'm good at building web things, and I think that's one reason why I'm so fascinated by performance oriented stuff because it's out of reach for web. Or at the very least, it doesn't matter enough to get into with the web. If you're building for mobile phones and something like something actually very interactive, you might end up actually needing to be careful about that stuff. You might end up building something with OpenGL. You never know. But on the web, it's so rare that you build something that has that kind of performance profile. I mean, I'm working uh, with a client on a kind of whiteboard collaboration tool. We're running into some some of the challenges with, well, some of the challenges are probably with Elm. Some of them are with the fact that we're using SVG when we would probably get more performance with like Canvas, uh, either 2D or 3D Canvas. So like there's some tuning there, but there's also very much a ceiling when you're fundamentally dealing with like javascript or possibly webgl and you are in the browser context like you're never going to be lean because your your runtime is a massive browser yeah you can be lean when compared to the other browser-based stuff like vs code is the fastest and most memory conscious uh, electron app there is but it's still an electron app yeah it's still still pretty beefy my NeoVim will use much less memory. Uh, 
Oh, yeah, I just got aware of what I just said. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's soon I'm going to say something about Lisp, right? Yeah, that's what we should be using, everyone, right? <laughs> yeah, Lisp machines. And Arch. Yeah, or Nix. Yeah, right. Nix. The thing is, yeah, the, the proper thing is, is to go with Nix. Yeah, because Gen 2 is for boomers, right? Well, I was super surprised when we met dude who actually does Gen 2. I think it was like the the Codebeam Stockholm where we went together. Yep. You were there, right? And or no, maybe it was one earlier. Yeah, it was probably one earlier. But I've once run into a someone who's like, no, I use Gen 2. I like keeping track of my dependencies and making sure I don't have uh, triplicates. I recompile a lot. <laughs> it's fun. I don't mind it. Cool. Impressive. Also, did not know it was still alive. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it's it's kind of on a on a. I think the community has split up between Arch Fun Two, which is some kind of fork, and Nix or Nixos. Hmm. Because yeah. Huh. So, but it's somehow I find it like a very you know nature is healing kind of vibe uh, vibe that Gen two is still alive and doing its thing. Yeah, and at one point I think it was probably an actually valid selling point that it would be significantly more performant just because you compiled for your machine. Yeah, at one point it was probably potentially worth it. I I doubt it is now, but again, that's also. An example of like, no, I will will compile for something kind of generic, so it will work on many machines. We'll leave some performance on the table. That's fine, but we do that all the time, and it's like abstraction on abstraction on abstraction, and eventually someone goes in and like, oh, we have to sweat the de- sweat uh, the performance of this abstraction a bit, like when Chrome and V8 uh, kind of blew. JavaScript performance out of the water by by really doubling down on it, and then everyone else had to do catch up. That that's like some suddenly they realize that we're we are built on top of fairly unsuitable abstractions, but there is no way in hell we can rip them out. So we need to make them fast. They also launched simultaneous efforts, I think, or kind of parallel efforts to potentially replace them. Like Dart, for example, I think was an effort to potentially replace JavaScript. Dart is that the... I get the feeling that it's the love child between Java and JavaScript. I don't think it's quite that bad. (laughs) My understanding is that it is primarily used for building Flutter apps now. Yeah, and Flutter seems like a quite nice thing to work with. I've heard good things, but I haven't poked it. Yeah, me too. Something interesting about Flutter is that that builds on top of what I think is a rather low level and I'm guessing really performant underlying library. Because the point of Flutter is that you should be able to run it on many different platforms and it should look the same or look adapted to different platforms and environments. So they have this underlying graphics uh, and drawing framework and they implement it for like oh over here we need to do it in OpenGL and I think their solution for drawing in the browser is Canvas Kit uh, and that's like 
WebGL plus WebAssembly. But uh, it's called Skia, um, the library. Cool. And I think the point is, like, it's it's not huge, so it's supposed to be reasonable to port it to new environments. And so I'm more curious about Skia than I am about Flutter because I'm not really interested in write, in learning Dart at the moment. While I think, I, like I've seen people experiment with Skia in different circumstances. And sometimes I just wish that we were, <laughs> we were drawing things on the screen with something that performed well. I can see why. Uh, also, it's fun to draw things on the screen. It's like making lens blink or something. Yeah. You know what you said. What you said about really bad abstractions. It brought me back to you know that the linked list. It was best in the sixties before virtual memory. Mm. Okay, virtual memory isn't relevant to this one, but caches is incredibly relevant to this one because a linked list is a uh, a collection of uh, things that are, have some data and point to the next element or null. And if it points at null, uh, the linked list stops. So far, so good. The thing is, it when you create a new element for a linked list, uh, you move the pointer uh, to... This part is not relevant for my rant. I should stop talking about <laughs> pointers. They are good dogs, but still... So when you create a new element in a linked list, you put it somewhere in memory where there's space. Um, uh, malloc will help you. And this means that when you traverse the linked list after this, the pros processor or whatever bit of silicon that will help you with this, it can't take chunks of the memory and put them in a cache. Uh, it can do that with an array because there uh, everything is at the same pl place. Yeah, it's a, like a contiguous chunk of memory. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the point here. Uh, there's a trick to this. In They do this in Clojure, a lisp. <laughs> and that's you take as many items that easily fit in the cache you're interested in, like the L1, L2 or something. And then you have that as an array, contiguous mem memory. And then a pointer to the next array of contiguous memory so you can do things. This will speed up access. It will also speed up if you have just one big blob of contiguous memory. It's not very effective to change one element in it. Uh, and then, well, you'll have to copy everything if you work in a language with immutable data structures like Elixir or Clojure or... Yeah, like linked lists are not a particularly efficient choice in almost any circumstances right now, I think. Indeed, they were 50, maybe 60 years ago by now. But they are, they are like a relic of the past. They are like these exciting fishes you can get if you, yeah, living fossils. And another interesting part here, uh, speaking of incredibly bad abstractions, you know the CPU? Yeah. Contains of consists of silicon, loads of it, and the x86 architecture is especially the newer ones, x86-64s. They are when you program them, you can either work in a complex with a complex instruction set CISC. I have no idea what that abbreviation stands for, uh, or a, a simple. Uh, instructions at R -S -R -I -S -C, 
or risk. And that's all well and good. You can write it in, in assembly or in machine code if you have infinite amount of time. And this CISC part is uh, in real time transformed by quite a big area of silicon into the risk instructions which are then executed by the processor. Because uh, it was shown maybe 20 years ago, perhaps more, 30, that it's much easier to build an incredibly fast processor with a risk instruction set rather than a CISC instruction set. So uh, I think it was Intel made the only reasonable thing and added a real-time converter. That sounds ideal. Yeah, it's. I'm fascinated by the amount of engineering that has gone into it and that it works at all. And we know that we have more area on the dies than we can really use for anything good. So I guess it's okay. But still, that's also why ARM processors... Okay, it's one of the reasons why ARM processors use so much less power. They don't have to do, do all this crap or this probably a better word for it but yeah yeah so uh, uh i guess it's <laughs> the takeaway is it's wow it works yeah i mean it's a wonder any of it works at all yeah and some things are just have just been reliable uh workhorses for a long time like take uh like block storage and like well hard drive disk storage there's very very rarely a hard disk drive anymore but that yeah that abstraction has worked for a long time but it's also very well known that now if you really want good performance out of a like your drives you should be working with them very differently because you can get a lot more performance out of them if you because they are now capable of random access. Like previously, it was like, oh, you want to read things in order because you have a read head and you want to cache it in this way and you want to yada, 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 block sizes and everything. Optimizations from a past age that are still relevant for some devices, but not the typical devices anymore. But it's also really tricky to just replace. I don't know what it's supposed how it's supposed to be pronounced, but I've read some articles about IO Uring, like the IO As in I O U ring? Uh yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's IO and then <laughs> U yeah. U ring or micro ring uh, or whatever it turns into. Oh, okay. I thought it was that I uh, owed you a ring. Yeah. I O U like ring. One ring. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure uh, what the naming is about, but I've seen people write about building it, using it, that kind of thing, and like it can really, really get going on, like say NVMe storage and that kind of thing. That's like ludicrously fast, and you, even with the normal old abstractions, you still notice like, oh, this is fast. But if you actually optimize for the way hardware works now you get different behaviors and i think that's also like 
a lot of these newer tools that people are writing, like the grep replacement, for example, it's not that grep is kind of outmoded and that's why it's slow. Grep was built to be fast under certain assumptions, and those assumptions are probably uh, no longer holding fully. Like grep is still pretty fast, uh, and they all are also very mindful about backwards compatibility and working on older systems, I bet. But I would imagine RipGrep is more aggressive about how it uses your system because it safely can be. <laughs> yeah, it can safely rip through all those files. All those greps, yeah. Yeah, this bad boy can fit so many greps. Again, it's like I don't need low-level performance chops it's just something that i like in the in this perfect world i would love for more things to be built that way uh much like i would love it if all our houses were more energy efficient and like furniture was well built and clothing was well made uh but that's not what we're typically optimizing for anymore i think we need a revolution yeah that would be helpful yeah. Yeah, but like on on the Elixir side, I'm pretty happy to have a system that was that had kind of the forethought that it had. They didn't optimize necessarily for the most efficient way of doing things then. They went for abstraction, but not the most wasteful abstractions. Like there is waste in the beam abstraction beam abstractions, I'm sure. For one thing, like the the observability and introspectability and stuff that's offered comes at cost. The dynamic nature and hot code updates and all of that stuff comes at cost. There are trade-offs made. But I really like that when I start a Beam application, by default, it will start a scheduler for each core and it will do concurrency trivially. And when I'm writing a script in Elixir, uh, it's a surprisingly nice scripting language, actually. I don't know if you tried it. I've tried it a bit and then I got distracted. Uh, but yeah, it was it was good. When you're doing things like, oh, I'm slurping in a CSV and then I need to convert a bunch of things and like you can absolutely do it serially and it's probably fast enough. Like in a map, go. Uh, it's it's fine. But it doesn't take much to just use a task async stream instead. And suddenly the workload is divided across a number of processes that matches the number of schedulers you're running, which means it will try to effect, like effectively and efficiently do concurrent and parallel work of whatever list you feed it or whatever stream you feed it. And like that is not the bits and bytes and oh, uh, sweet, close to the metal uh, machine whispering optimization. But it all it is also not like oh this is a, an entirely serial Python script that couldn't do concurrency to save its life and I like that I like working in an environment that's like yeah there's there's uh, there's some stuff here for for performance they also did some really interesting work in the OTP team to introduce this JIT compiler it is not the type of JIT compiler that some people. F- think about when thinking about a JIT compiler. Is it the other one? I don't think it has the kind of warm-up that that some people would expect and stuff. But fundamentally, it can convert some code into machine instructions 
rather than uh, like running on the Beam VM. So I know there were benchmarks where, not not exclusively, but where I think an Elixir or Erlang-based JSON parser actually beat a CNIF JSON parser. That's really good. Really, yeah. really good. That's kind of fun. Yeah. But yeah. Like I, I have a strong desire to learn how to build things that go really, really fast, but I have almost no incentives for using it in my day-to-day. And I think that's everywhere in the business, and I think that kind of sucks. So you need, preferably need a customer or two, or a client or two is perhaps the word, uh, that need re-incredibly fast Elixir. Well... I think I need a world where like the the cost of inefficiency is factored in. Yeah. 